This is the third and probably the final message uh, in our series called The Power of Truth. And um, this has been, a, this has been a, an amazing series for me personally, and I believe for the life of our church. Um, we, the first week, we, we talked about the power of truth in the advancement of the kingdom on the earth. And on that Sunday, we, we launched Pursuit Prep, which was an incredible day, something that we love seeing. And since then, we've seen a, a crazy amount of support and encouragement from our church and our community. Um, and it, things are just going incredibly well, and we'll keep updating you guys as we move forward. But the second week, last week, we talked about the power of truth and worship uh, and just the necessity of, of, of truth in, in our worship and in our relationship with God. And today we're talking about the power of truth in transformation. And, and I'm not very creative. Like I, that, that, I'm not really good at titles. For years, everybody, the band, they're super creative. The media team, they're super creative. And they're like, you need to come up with catchy titles like everybody else does. And I'm like, it's not by choice. I just can't do it. Uh, so I, I've tried. They just sound ridiculous. You ever seen like a, you know, like a 45-year-old dad trying to be cool to his 13-year-old kid? That's how I feel trying to create cool sermon titles. It's just not part of my DNA. So uh, the, the, today's title is The Power of Truth and Transformation. Um, uh, transformation is a significant part of life. Biblical transformation, uh, we would probably call this sanctification. Uh, this idea of transforming uh, from who we were before Christ into the literal image of Christ, the Bible says, for transforming from someone who was lost in sin uh, fully into the righteousness and, and the truth of God, um, be the process of becoming holy. Uh, and so I want to talk about transformation this morning, and I just want to tell you up front, there's a lot of scripture. I'm going to move fast. Uh, don't All the first-time guests were like, great, lots. Of <laughs> there's going to be a lot of scripture. I'll move fast, but there's not going to be on the screen because of that, because I'm going to be going uh, right through. Um, and, and the heart of this message, uh, I, want, I want to launch us off of a scripture uh, in John 17, 16. It's a prayer of Jesus. Uh, and and as, we, as we talk through this transformation process, this sanctification process, uh, I want us to really start with an understanding of what it is. All right. And so most, there, 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 some people would say in, that sanctification and that, that transformation process, that sanctification is, is turning away from sin and living a life of righteousness. Uh, they would say that, that, that sanctification is to, is to walk away. Now, there, there are some people, there are some entire denominations that, that hold to a, a thought process of like called instant or uh, sanctification. And that really is just a really fancy theological way of saying that when you become saved, uh, that you are saved by, by grace and you're, you're filled with the Spirit of God and that you, from that point forward, you're perfect and you should no longer live in sin and that, that you're fully sanctified in the moment of salvation and and that, that not sinning is the evidence of your salvation. That makes me want to cuss just a little bit. Because that, can I just be honest? Can we just be real for a minute? Because uh, like, you know, what, 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 what the, and you just fill in the blank of your level of sanctification. Have you ever met anybody? Now, I'm not, have you ever met anybody that gave their life to Christ and then no longer sinned? Raise your hand. And we will all collectively kick you out of the church, okay? That doesn't exist. That's not real. That's not what the Bible teaches at all, ever. 
in, in fact, I would say that, that turning away from sin is the result of sanctification. It's the result of transformation. But the actual sanctification process is not the process of being holy. It's the process of becoming holy. And that's two very different things. And this is something that's very demoralizing in a lot of churches because you get preachers that get up there and lie through their teeth and say, the day I gave my life to Christ, that was the last day I told a lie. That was the last day I stole. That was the last day I looked at porn. That was the last time, blah, 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 blah. And he's probably a lying, embezzling porn addict, right? That, that's that's the, the, the louder that a preacher screams about his holiness, understand that's probably uh, equal to the amount of hidden sin that he has in his life. Uh, the, the truth is, is that, that there was only one uh, person who lived perfectly in this, on this earth, and that was Jesus Christ. And that, that the sanctification is a process of becoming holy, but it's not immediately being holy. And, and, and we really have to, to, to understand that because that means that, that we give our lives to Christ and then there is a process that takes place in our life that transforms us eventually into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, for all, all of the Pharisees in the room and at house church, don't send me any emails. Sin's not okay. Sin's never okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that sanctification is not uh, you get saved and never sin. Sanctification is the process of being transformed into someone who eventually walks away from sin. It's not behavioral management. Uh, even the Pharisees could fake and mimic behavioral management without even being saved. That, that what, what Christ is teaching about and what, what the Bible teaches is that there is a process that brings about a genuine metamorphosis, a genuine transformation from the inside out, uh, from the lost, uh, chaotic, rebellious heart uh, prior to Christ to eventually living in the image of Christ. Uh, I, I, I personally don't believe uh, that the Bible uh, says anything ever other than that. And I want to show you some scriptures this morning because I want us to understand the heart of sanctification and the power of truth in it and the part that truth plays inside of our transformation process. This is a hard message because it's going to be an open-ended message. It means at the end of the message, I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, okay, there you go. That's the end. Good luck. All right? Then that's tough for a preacher. Uh, but the heart of this today is, is to really teach this, that we would leave with a firm understanding of what the Bible says about sanctification, this transformation process. And I'm going to start with a prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, verse 16. This is what it says. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so Jesus makes this statement, John 17, 16 and 17, uh, and I hear Bibles flipping. I would love for you to try to keep up with me this morning. It might be difficult uh, for all the note takers. I don't say this often. I love people who take notes. This is not a message you probably want to take notes in as I'm going. This is one you want to listen to over. In fact, I would encourage everybody to listen to this message over again because there's going to be a lot, but I want to get to this point and teach this point. Uh, so they are not of the world. So prior to this, this part of the prayer, he establishes the first few verses 
verses uh, earlier before this that they, he, he's praying about the disciples. He's praying about those who put his faith, their faith in Jesus and have transferred into a life of salvation. He says that prior to saying this statement, they're not of the world. He says, he establishes that they're no longer of the world prior to this. And he's praying about those who are saved. The heart of what Jesus is saying is that when you give your life to Christ, uh, when you put your faith in Jesus, that he saves you, that he no longer holds his, uh, your sins against you, that he no longer holds your trespasses against you, uh, that there's mercy, compassion, and love, that at your salvation, he fills you with the spirit and you get transferred into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. You become a son and a daughter of the king and you're no longer of the world. That there's this, there is this transition that takes place uh, to where in sin and apart from Christ, we are of the world. Uh, we we are, are born into sin. We have a rebellious heart, rebellious mind against God, a mind the Roman says it's hostile to God, and then we're of the world. But when we put our faith in Christ, we transition into the family of God and into the kingdom of God, and we're no longer of the world. And you're going to see this pattern in the first three or four verses that I read. And so he establishes this again right before he says this powerful prayer. He says, they are not of the world, just as I'm not, even as I'm not of it. And he says, point blank, this is the prayer for Jesus over your life. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Now, this is, this is why I wanted to start in the scripture, because I believe the moment that you put your faith in Jesus and that you're saved uh, and that the Lord makes you a son, makes you a daughter, you're in the kingdom, that at that moment, this is the primary prayer of Christ over your life. This is the desire of Christ in your life, that you would be fully sanctified by the truth of God, that the Bible teaches that it is the Holy Spirit uh, through the truth of God, through the word of God, through the scriptures, the verses, through the knowledge of Christ, through the words of Jesus that sanctify us, that, that transform us eventually into the image of Christ. And so the, the, the heart of this is that he's praying this prayer. Now, this is where I, I wanted to launch here. This is Jesus saying up front, this is Jesus saying, they, have, they are no longer of the world, yet they still need to be transformed. You got it? I'm gonna teach today. They're, they're no longer of the world, just as I'm not of the world. They're Christians. They're believers, and now they need to be transformed by your truth. He takes this on down, and, and, and I want to talk about this because if you don't understand how the transformation takes place, then a lot of people, and this is where religious comes in, this is where religiosity and Phariseeism come in, is you believe that there is a behavioral management plan, that sanctification is a, a list of behaviors, a list of do's and don'ts, and that you learn the do's and don'ts, and you learn how to dress, walk, talk, act, whatever, and then you kind of go down that list, and you practice at becoming good, and then you, you manage your behavior, and over time, you perfect that. Again, that makes me want to cuss, Okay. It's not, Christianity is not behavioral management. Christianity is life transformation. 
It's life transformation. So if you don't understand where this metamorphosis happens, where this transformation takes place, then then the only thing that you can do as a Christian is become religious rather than be transformed. And unfortunately, that's where the vast majority of Christians go. They go into religiosity and into behavioral management, and they live a depressing life of disappointment where they just live almost like failing day in and day out, never able to keep up to the standard. That's because they're trying to manage their behavior in the name of Jesus rather than being transformed by the power of Jesus. Amen. right? And so this, this is the heart of it. And I'm gonna read two more scriptures as the setup for this. In Romans 12, 2, again, you're gonna see this pattern. You're gonna see this pattern of being not of the world, the old life, uh, and then being transformed into the new life, into the new creation to live the way we were created to live. And then this same pattern in the middle of sanctification. And this is what it says in Romans 12, 2. It says, now be not conformed to this world. So don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So uh, sanctification is this transformation process. The the Bible uses the word metamorphosis uh, four or five times in terms of sanctification, in terms of this this process of changing. And that word transformed, that's the word we hold on to. Transformed is not a word we made up. That's not in the Bible. This is a word specifically in the Bible. And And transformed is exactly what happened. That's what sanctification is. It's transformation from the inside out into the image of Christ, into the new creation. But what it says here right here is that to be transformed, Romans 12, 2 says, to be transformed is to first have your mind renewed. So the transformation is not an exterior thing that happens. It's not behavioral management. It's nothing that you can be taught from the outside. That it's something that, that the reason why the law failed to save us was because the law gave us what perfection was. And no matter how hard every single human being who ever lived tried, they fell short of it. That's why we needed Jesus. That's why we needed a savior. And so what the Bible's teaching and what what the Spirit of God wants us to hear this morning is that the sanctification process and the transformation process is not an exterior change, it's an internal change. Specifically, the Bible says it's in the mind, it's the renewal of our minds. And that as our minds are renewed uh, and we become different in our minds and, and we think differently, then we begin to live differently. And so this is the heart of it. It's the renewal of the mind. We have to have our minds renewed. And, and now a lot of people will kind of feel like, okay, what does the renewal of the mind mean? That we need more information, that we need, we need some more knowledge, we need, we need to get this. And the, the word renewal literally means that you, you have your mind is one way and it needs to be renewed. It needs to be torn down and made new again. So there's something jacked up in our minds. Hallelujah, Amen. There's some wives going, this preacher's got it. (laughs) I live with a walking testimony of what you just said is true. Our minds, is there something jacked up in our minds? Paul preaches this exact same message uh, to the Ephesians church, and I want you to still see this pattern. I know there's some front row students and you got it the first time I said it, but there's some other people in the room like me and I need it repeated to me 10 times. But I, I, I want us to hear this. I want you to see the same pattern, the old world, the old life, the new life in Christ, and then this middle part, sanctification and the renewal of the mind. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, you were taught in regards to Christ and life in Christ, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and then to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So it says you got the old life, the old you that has to be put off. Then there's a renewal of the attitude of your mind. In the Greek, it literally says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So it, it, it paints the picture that, that your mind, it's not just, your mind is not just a, a mindless computer. It's not just a programming to program information, but that there is a natural disposition of your mind. There's a, the, the spirit of your mind or the attitude of your mind or the mindset that your mind has, that that's what needs to be renewed, that, that you have a natural disposition, that this old life, all right, this old life uh, that you had, you were born into this world that the Bible says is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, that's ruled by Satan. You were born into a culture. You were born into a body ruled and dominated by sin. So everything that you knew of life came to you while you were a sinner, came to you apart from Christ, came to you from a culture and a world dominated by Satan, so that the, the natural mindset, the natural spirit of our mind, or the attitude of our mind, or the natural disposition uh, is anti-God, anti-will of God, anti-Jesus, uh, feeling like Jesus is not worthy to be worshiped, he's not worthy to be trusted, that there's something on this earth that's worth more, that's greater, that's better, and that we can just kind of be our own gods and do our own thing, that everything we learned about life, we were taught while we were in sin. We were taught uh, from a culture ruled by Satan. We were taught in this way. And so he's saying that you can put off the old self, put your faith in Christ. You're no longer of the world, but your mind's still screwed up. And so the attitude of your mind, the spirit of your mind, the, the mindset has to be renewed uh, prior to or a part of the process of putting on the new self so that you can live the way you were created to live. And that's in righteousness and in holiness and in the will of God. That you, you have to have this, this attitude, this spirit, this mindset of your mind renewed. That, that that's, that's the heart of what happens. And so he moves on. And I want you to, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, remember, I'm, I'm talking about a pattern. Old life, new life, the renewal of the mind, this mindset, this attitude of our mind. And that you'll see a part of this pattern and the, the finished product of this pattern all throughout the Old and New Testament, all throughout the teachings of Jesus, all throughout the teachings of sanctification, all throughout the teachings of this transformation process, you run into the same thing over and over and over again. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord or the nature of Jesus, we behold the glory of Jesus. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, from nature to nature to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this says it this way. Jesus prayed, sanctify them, transform them by truth. Your word is truth. Throughout the rest of scripture, we see that same pattern and we see that it's beholding the glory of Jesus or the nature of Jesus or the truth of who Jesus really is. It's when we get a revelation of the goodness, the majesty, the power of Jesus Christ that it begins to renew our minds and transform us. That we can put our faith in Jesus we can put our faith in Christ, receive salvation, be filled with the Spirit in the family of God, sons and daughters of the King, we're a part of God's kingdom, but that our mind is still so jacked up 
that we're not being transformed. And the only way to renew our minds is to behold the glory of Jesus Christ, behold the majesty of Jesus Christ. The more that we get the truth of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus truly is, his power, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, uh, everything about him, his kingship, his lordship, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, uh, the eternal king, the living resurrected king, the more we behold of his glory, the more we behold of his nature, the more it tears down that old mindset uh, and transforms us eventually into the image of Christ. That the transformation process is the Holy Spirit revealing to you and uncovering the true power, goodness, greatness, and compassion of Jesus Christ. That the transformation process is us in the deepest part of who we are receiving a revelation or uncovering of the glory of Jesus Christ that we can only get in the word of God. That's the message. And I still got a lot of time. That's good. That's good. Now what? Now what do you do? That's the message. That's the message. We, we were in sin. Jesus saves us. He dies for our sins. We put our faith in Christ. We receive salvation. Our sins are no longer held against us. John says that Jesus baptizes us or immerses us with his own spirit, that we're made sons and daughters, and we're brought into this kingdom of God. We're brought into this relationship with God, and that now we need the renewal of our minds so that we can live holy and live righteous and be in the will of God and experience the life God created us to live. So what do we do? One of the things I think the Lord opened up to me a few years ago, and it changed, it changed me. It, it truly changed me. Because I was left with not discouragement, but kind of with a like, okay. Like, okay. But now what? And the Lord brought me to Matthew 16, 17. This is years ago. In fact, I, I, I preached some of what I'm about to preach in a series called The Process years and years ago. You can't find it because I made them take it down. Because I, about every year I look back and I'm like, why does anybody ever listen to me preach? It was horrible. You can't find it. <laughs> but I did it. But in this, in this, in this message, I fell in love with, with the Simon Peter in the Bible. Because Simon uh, Peter was, is very unique in that we get to see uh, this process take place in his life. It's one of the only people we get to see this all the way through. We get to see, see him. He was born Simon, all right, but he died Peter. He was born Simon. He was a fisherman, not a good one. That's what he chose to do with his career, not a good one. I just think it's funny. Every time the Bible talks about him, he's never catching fish, but that was what he did for a living. Jesus pulls him in, uh, saves him, uh, and, and he goes through this. He, he, he so struggles, he's so arrogant, and he's so foolish and he talked so much that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, basically told him to shut up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He rebuked Jesus multiple times. Yet all of his thuggery and his, I'll die with you, Jesus, when it was actually put to the test, uh, like a coward, he ran and denied Christ, even to like a teenage girl. And then he runs away completely from Christ and from the calling that was on his life, 
back to fishing where again, he's horrible and catches no fish. And Jesus has to make a special trip out to him to be like, bro, it's all good. Come on, let's go change the world. Okay, we get to see this Simon, but then we get to see who he becomes later in the book of Acts and in the end of his life, that he becomes one of the most powerful men of God who ever walked the face of the earth. That this, this fisherman named Simon died a powerful man of God named Peter. And that he preached the very first message that 3,000 people came to know Jesus. He, 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 he planted the church that we are all still a part of today. That, that, that he, he, he wrote books of the Bible that he, he became epic on so many levels. And he was so uh, changed that though in the middle of his life when he ran from a teenage girl in fear at the name of Jesus, that he eventually lived his life so for Christ that they killed him for it and he died willingly for Christ. So we get to see in Simon Peter this transformation process. We get to see this take place. And I, I want us to see in, in Matthew 16 and 17 something that, that hammers this pattern in. We get to see it in real life. And it was so encouraging to me, and I hope that it's encouraging to you. In Matthew 16, uh, there's one day where Jesus turns around, he looks at the disciples, and he says to them, who does everybody say that I am? Because up to this point, because Jesus is humble and he's meek, he does not come into the world going, I'm the son of God. I'm the savior, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king, I'm the man, follow me. He doesn't do that. He comes humbly and he comes meek to the Lord. And, and, and God begins to reveal the greatness of Christ to those people around him. And so they're sitting here in this middle and he turns around and he goes, so who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon speaks up and Simon says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the savior. You're exactly who you, 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 are, you are God. You, you are Jesus. You are the, you, this is who you are. I know this is you. This is the first public declaration of Jesus as Lord. This is the per, first public declaration of Christ as savior. This is the first public, this is Peter. He's declaring out loud, Jesus, you are. It's, it's the first time faith is put in Christ in a public way. And it's so powerful that Jesus says, uh, you're blessed, Simon Peter, because uh, no, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but God in heaven, my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And he says, and this is so true that I am the Savior, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of the living God, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my church based on this belief that I am truly the Savior and that I'm truly the Son of God. And so G, uh, Peter gives his life to Christ and he, he puts his faith in Jesus and he gets saved and he's no longer of the world. He's brought into the world and Jesus confirms this in him and he says, I'm going to build the whole church on this belief. And even Peter got to be a part of the very first message that really planted the church. So he's saved is the point of this. Now, don't you wish that in that moment, everything could have just changed for Simon Peter? That in that moment, do you know what's funny? All of those failures that I mentioned to you a minute ago, almost all of those came after this moment. 
So much so that, that as they're walking, they're continuing moving, Jesus begins to teach them and tell them, now that you know who I am, now that you know that I'm the Savior, now that you know that I'm the Messiah, now that you've put your faith in me, I wanna tell you God's plan. I wanna tell you the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that I, Jesus, that I will lay down my life and I will die for the sins of the world that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the Romans, they will get together, uh, they will capture me, they will arrest me, they will torture me, they will beat me, they will hang me on a cross, and I will die for the sins of this world. And that this is, the, this is God's plan of redemption. And Simon Peter, though he's put his faith in Jesus, and though he's just said, man, you're the son of God, you're, 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 you're Jesus, you're, you're, you're the savior, he starts to rebuke Jesus and says, no, this is never gonna happen. I'm never gonna let this happen. I'm not, I don't care if it's the will of God. I don't care what the Father has planned. I don't care what the creator of the universe says. I'm telling you, I'm Peter, and I'm never gonna let this happen. I'm, I'm gonna fight for you, and I'm gonna protect you, and you're not gonna get arrested. You're, this isn't gonna go this way. That's not the direction. That's not the plan, Okay? And then I want you to see Jesus' response because this is significant. Jesus responds in Matthew 16, verse 23. He says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So I, I, this, is, this is of the utmost importance that we gather what this is just happening. This is Simon Peter. Jesus just promised him within hours to days prior to this. He's the, Peter's the first one to publicly uh, profess Jesus as the son of the living God. And Jesus makes this crazy promise. It's through your life and through this message that I'm gonna build my church so strong that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. He is saved. He's, trans, he's no longer of the world. He's in the kingdom of God. Yet in this moment, he is so filled with the mindset of humanity. He's so dominated with the things of men. He's so dominated with the things of the culture that he is against the will of the Father to the point that Jesus calls him Satan. He says that you have within you a mindset that is more in alignment with the will of Satan than it is with the will of God. You have more thought process. You have, you have more inside of you that is of a demonic nature and of an evil nature and of the world and of the culture than you do of God. He says, so much so that even though I, you just said that I was the son of God, you just said that I was the savior, I was the Messiah, and now I'm laying out the plan and you're so out of line with God and so in line with Satan that what Peter wanted to do was, Jesus says it was a stumbling block to him. That means that it was a, a temptation to Jesus. If you're getting baptized, you can go ahead and go and get ready. This next part would have changed your life. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is huge. Different message for a different day. But this is what, I, it says that, that Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan. That's what the Bible says he's tempted that Jesus was perfect, he never sinned, but he was tempted. And what I want you to see in this is that because Peter's mindset had not been renewed and it was still filled with the things of man and not the things of God, that he was so in alignment 
with the ways of the world, the ways of the culture, and the ways of Satan, that what Peter wanted to do was a temptation for Jesus to sin, for Jesus to walk away, for Jesus to take a shortcut. But we know, thank God, that Jesus was perfect in all of his way, fully God, fully man. But it's significant the way that Jesus handles this and what he says. And then it's right after this. Get, uh, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You're not, if you grew up in the church, I, I would be willing to bet that you did not hear this scripture specifically preached very often because people find this scripture confusing because it, it seems to say you need to be willing to die for Christ, but then it kind of doesn't really say that. And so people just tend to gloss over it, stay away from it. But it's really not confusing at all if, if you know the heart of what Jesus is really saying. Now you gotta put, he says this right, he says this in response to what he just said of Peter. You have in mind the things of God, not the things of men. In your mind, in the depths of who you are, in your inner heart, Peter, you're still so consumed with the culture and the ways of the world, the ways of Satan, that you're anti-God's will. You're still against the will of God. You still oppose the will of God in your life. And then right on the back of that, he says this. He says, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta, you gotta pick up your cross uh, and go, and he says, forever who wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, I'm gonna teach this fast, and I know this is deep. That's why I said you gotta listen to this message twice. He uses the word life, but in the Greek language, there are three words for life. Jesus uses all three of them in the book of Matthew and in the other gospels. The first word of life is when you, when you anytime you hear the, like the resurrection and the life, that Jesus is the life and the light of the world, that, that in, in Jesus we get eternal life, that, that Jesus promises true life. That word life, any of those contexts, it's always the word zoe, and that's what it means. It means true life, eternal life, that spiritual life, that forever life. That's what zoe means. That's the first word for the word life. The second word for the word life is bios, like biology. Right? This is the part of your life that you can pinch. If it was earlier in the service, I would just get you to pinch somebody. When they scream, I would say, you just pinch their bios. It's their physical life, all right? Then you have the third form of life, the third word for life, and it's psyche. And what psyche literally means, it's your mind, your will, your emotions, it's your identity, it's what makes you, you. It's your mindset, all right? Everybody who puts their life in Christ has Zoe, eternal life, life in Christ. Everybody that's walking around on the earth has bios, physical life. And everybody alive has psyche. This is the, your identity. This is your mindset. This is your mind, your will, your emotions. This is what makes you, you. This is the part of you that was developed apart from Christ. This is the part of you that was born into sin. This is the part of you uh, that was raised in a culture that Ephesians says is dominated by the prince of the power of the air. This was, this was the world, the age, the culture, it's satanic. And I know that's a, that's a tough word to say, and it's not something very popular in modern church, uh, but it, it's deeply real. And his point is, what he's saying, he's saying is that your psyche, your mind, your will, your emotions, what you think about life, 
All of the things that you developed about your viewpoint on life, your perspective on life, what is successful, what is good, what is true, what life is about, the direction you should go in life, all of that was formed in a body that was ruled by sin in a world that was dominated by Satan. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, if you want to save your mind, your will, your emotions, if you want to save your identity, if you want to save your psyche, then you have to be willing to lay it down for me so that I can tear down the old mindset, the old definitions of success, the old spirit of your mind, the old attitude of your mind, all of the things your, your, your life in sin taught you to think, all the way the culture taught you to think, all the ways that's been so influenced by Satan. If you're not willing to lay down your mindset of who you were apart from Christ and before Christ, then you'll never be able to experience your true psyche or your true mind in Christ. Does that make sense? So I know this deep. But the, the, the heart of what Jesus is saying, this is one of the greatest warnings in scripture, is it says you have to be willing to acknowledge before anything else, to acknowledge. And I know this is hard for modern America. I know this is hard for especially the younger the generations. I know that this is hard, but you have to acknowledge that your mindset, even as a Christian, even putting your faith in Jesus, that your mindset, that all of the things that you thought life was about, everything you were taught, in the life and in the body ruled by sin, apart from Christ and before Christ and in this world dominated by Satan, dominated by evil, dominated by wicked, that all of that is ultimately created a mindset in you, a natural disposition that is anti-God. It's anti the will of God. It's anti-Jesus. That's why it's, it's so anti, that's why Peter who just professed that Jesus was the son of the living God, he was still so dominated by this worldly mindset, by his identity before Christ, that he was a temptation to Jesus. That what he wanted to do with his life and the way he wanted things to go was so out of alignment of God that it was a temptation to Christ. We have to acknowledge that that's also true for our lives. And it doesn't matter if you got saved 20 years ago, if you got saved two days ago. The mindset that you were born into is anti-God. You, you ultimately believe that there's something in the world that's worth more than Jesus and that God isn't trustworthy on some level. And that this is our mindset that has to be renewed every day by truth. And so this is why this message is so hard for me. It's so hard for, for a preacher to preach because I'm teaching you something that is true but there's nothing to really do about it right now in this moment. The, the, the thing that you have to do first is to acknowledge it. I have a mindset. I have a spirit of my mind, an attitude of my mind. I have a natural disposition that is anti-God. And that though I've put my faith in Christ, that still has to be dealt with. And that Jesus' warning is, if I'm not willing to lay down my identity if I'm not willing to lay down my definition of success, if I'm not willing to lay down what I think life is about, if I'm not willing to lay down my mindset, I will never be able to experience the mindset of Christ and I'll never be able to experience full sanctification and I'll never be able to experience this life I was created to live in righteousness and holiness and power and blessing and peace and joy. 
And so he says, this is, this is not a moment. Salvation is a moment. But what I'm preaching about today is it's a lifelong process where every day as you, as you get into the Word of God and you need to be in the Word of God every day, as you, as you study and you behold the glory of God. I don't think it's ironic that right after this moment, it says they didn't do anything for six days. They have this conversation. Jesus has this tough moment with Peter. And then six days later, he takes Peter to the top of a mountain and Peter gets to see the transformed Christ. This is that his face shone like the sun. He gets to see the glory of Jesus. And you see all parts of that pattern that the Bible teaches us about. He beholds the glory of Jesus. He beholds the, the power and the, the grace and the mercy, the compassion, the kingship, the lordship, the creator, Christ. He beholds him and it changes Peter. And so this is the message. This is the message. We have to deal with our mindsets. And the only way that we can have our mind renewed is to partner with the Holy Spirit who's inside of us, the teacher of truth, the one who guides us into all truth. And we open up the words of Jesus. We open up the gospel. We open up the Bible. We open up Genesis to Revelation. And we let the Holy Spirit take the truth of God and begin to renew our minds, begin to tear down that old mindset, that old concept, the things that set up in our minds so that we can experience sanctification, so that we can get transformed eventually into the image of Christ. It's a daily thing. And so this is encouraging for all of you that are still struggling with sin. And there's two people in the room. There's people who are still struggling with sin and there's people who are lying about still struggling with sin. This is encouraging because we get to see Peter. Some days, even I, I feel like, is, is it ever gonna be different? But it's encouraging because we get to see Simon at the beginning and then we get to see Peter at the end. And so I want you to leave here this morning knowing that the Holy Spirit will take the truth of God. It will renew your mind. If you're willing to just lay down and say, I accept that, I know that mindset, it's there, and I'm willing to lose it. I'm willing to surrender it, I'm willing to lay it down and let the Spirit of God renew my mind so that I can spirit transformation. I promise you, I promise you, transformation will come to your life. Sanctification will come to your life. The Holy Spirit will take the truth of God. And so my prayer for you today, it's the same prayer that Jesus prayed over us 2,000 years ago. We are no longer of the world, just like Christ is not of the world. And our prayer is that the Father, through the Spirit of God and the truth of God, will sanctify us, transform us, renew our minds, move us into the image of Christ. Amen.